Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, let me just fill you in. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we've been on some pretty interesting events, learning all about some new engine technologies and seeing some new cars. So why don't we tell you all about it? Ben, take it away with a brand new Japanese luxury crossover. Well, it's, you know, it's funny you should mention these different engine technologies. Last week, I feel like I drove three completely different drivetrains, just technologies that were unrelated to each other and yet we're all trying to solve the same problem and one of those was in the 2019 infinity qx50 which is a completely redesigned entry-level luxury crossover from the japanese brand mm-hmm. and the qx50 previously was known as the um ex uh 35 and 37 so it was a really cool car it used to be like a raised uh like it was like an original it was like an original crossover in the fact that it was like a sports sedan that also had a higher ride height. Actually, not even a sports sedan, a sport wagon yeah. with a higher ride height. And it, it was a lot of fun to drive. It was based on the FM platform, a version of that, which was the same platform that was underneath the Infiniti, uh, the older versions of the Q50, the Q60, but the G37, the G35, the Nissan Z, they were, they were all tied together with this platform. And what made it unique was it's a rear-wheel drive platform. Mm-hmm. It, it, like you said, it's it was for sports sedans and sport coupes. And so it was pretty unsuited for a crossover duty uh, mm-hmm. from a practicality standpoint. Like It drove very nice. I liked it a lot. It had that 3.7 liter V6, uh, 325 horsepower, was it, Sammy? Uh, the original one had 300, at least 300 horsepower. And the latest QX50, when it was called the QX50, and I think it was actually a QX50L maybe, uh, used... A 3.7 liter V6 with 325 horsepower and 267 pound-feet of torque. It but, also compa- put all of that to a seven-speed automatic transmission. And I think you had to rev the engine to 7,000 RPM to get all that power. So it, it, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> it was a it was a sports car drivetrain in a sports car platform wrapped mm-hmm. in a SUV sort of package. And I liked it, but I'll tell you this: a few years ago, I had an uh, an EX35 that or 37. That's how many years ago it was. Around mm-hmm. the, the the winter holidays, and um, I had trouble packing my luggage, some gifts that I was bringing to to family, and my partner's luggage. She had uh, gifts as well inside mm-hmm. the. We we had a cat and a cat <laughs> carrier, and and even with the seats down in the older EX, the old QX50, it was tough. It was to the brim, to the roof. There was just not that much space. Flash forward to now, Infinity's realized that people don't buy entry-level crossovers because they want to set lap records. I mean, they're buying these things because they want to be comfortable. It's If it looks good, that's great too. But they, above all else, they want something that's useful. That's right. And uh, they also are trying to do something new with this car, and that's fuel economy. Because uh, you have a funny story to tell with your old um, uh, QX or EX story. I have one similar. When I had the EX37, I believe I had to take it to the pump a couple of times uh, during my week of testing. And I believe following that, I, like everyone at my office, requ- had to only do two fuel runs a week per car. And this car did not meet that mandate at all. I probably had more than two, maybe three or four. This thing just drank fuel at a ridiculous pace. So what is Infinity doing to deal with all that? 
Well, they've done a whole bunch of things. They've thrown away that whole rear-wheel drive architecture. It is out the window. Uh, mm-hmm. What's in its place is a traditional, it's funny to say traditional, a more traditional front-wheel drive, all-wheel drive setup where you have a lot more interior room. I believe it's a, uh, oh, is it 10%? It's a significant increase over the, the previous vehicle in terms of interior room. Um it looks huge. It yeah, looks like it, a giant car now. They're claiming, I believe they're claiming best-in-class cargo space between the back of the rear seat and the hatch. So okay. the, the, they, that's, that's not... So a, like actual trunk space. Yes, actual trunk space. And then if you if you pop that down, you know, I don't have the number in front of me. I want to say it's close to 60 cubic feet. That's mm. a really good number for a small crossover. That's, okay, perfect. That's something you would be proud of, um, regardless of whether it was a luxury vehicle or not. But... Uh, in order to make all this magic happen, there's obviously no more room for that V6, right? Because, you know, different platform, front-wheel drive, that, that V6 was in a rear-wheel drive platform, and it was made into that 7-speed. And the 7-speed is a longitudinal transmission that mounts behind the engine. When you have a front-wheel drive vehicle, you don't really do that. And you don't really do that because you want to make more space for passenger room, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you end up with a 2-liter four-cylinder turbo engine that is attached to a continuously variable transmission for packaging reasons. Mm. It's the same transmission, I believe, you would find in a vehicle like the Nissan Murano or the Nissan Rogue. Okay, uh, uh, Okay. so the Murano and Rogue don't come with a, a four-cylinder turbo, and also Infiniti isn't quite well-known for their four-cylinder turbo engines, are they? They only, In fact, they have a, only a few cars with a four-cylinder turbo, and those are Daimler engines, are they not? I Are they Daimler engines, the ones that's in the, the Q50 and the Q60? I think so. That's so, my understanding. So, well, the, not only is this not a Daimler engine, this is the real party party piece for the e, the QX50. Is it, it's a variable compression turbo engine. I know I've really really buried the lead on this one here, um, but this is yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, backing up a cargo space, it's 10 cubic feet more than it used to have, and that's okay. I think 18 or 20 percent greater. Anyway. Back to this variable compression turbo. I know a lot of people are probably like, variable compression, what does that mean? Is that just a buzzword? Well, Yeah, what is that? Well, to be honest, it's not going to mean a lot to most people who are buying luxury crossovers. They don't care. Uh, okay. What they're going to care about is the fact that the vehicle is something like, what is it, 30% more fuel efficient than the than the one that's outgoing? It hits 27 miles per gallon combined. Wow. Yeah. That's like, that's, I think the old one did 20. And, and it's got 268 horsepower and 288 pound-feet of torque. So it has oh, less okay. power, um, less horsepower, at, but that torque comes in very low. I think it's around 1,550 RPM. And okay, there's like that old turbocharged engine. Exactly. There's that old saying, uh, Americans shop horsepower, but they buy torque, or they drive torque. So okay. the, the torque helps the vehicle feel very lively because you can access it almost immediately. And the variable compression... How that works is there's actually a mechanical setup inside the motor that, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with compression in an engine, the compression the the compression ratio in an engine it relates to how much power the engine can make, it relates to how much boost you can put through it um, if you're running forced induction like a turbo. It also mm-hmm. affects fuel mileage, and by varying the the I guess the stroke of the piston as it approaches the top of the cylinder, the amount of space that you leave left at the top. Is is the uh, it, it directly affects the amount of compression of the fuel and air mixture. So if you leave more space, it's less compressed. If you leave less space, it's more compressed. What yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of technical I know. jargon. All it is a lot of jargon. But is what, whether or not this this thing can replace the old six cylinder 
well, um, that the car used to have. Well, or at least the, can make it, sorry, can make it class competitive. So Infinity has been able to vary the amount of space that you have at the top of the cylinder by having a mechanical component inside that automatically adjusts how far that piston is going to, to go up into the cylinder while you're driving. You never notice it happening, but it allows them to have a ratio spread of between 8 to 1 and 14 to 1. And 14 okay. to 1 is aimed at better fuel economy, whereas 8 to 1 is aimed at more power, mm-hmm. so they can run more boost into the engine. So the idea is you get, quote-unquote, V6 power with four-cylinder fuel mileage. I drove the car... You, there was no way I could verify the fuel economy. In fact, they don't have an official number yet. 27 miles per gallon is an estimate. They feel confident about that, but it's still an estimate. But okay. I can tell you, you will absolutely not detect any of this happening at any time. There, there's, okay. a, uh, there's, a, a, there's a gauge that tells you whether you're in um, power or eco, but mm-hmm. it's pretty much as soon as you hit the gas, you're in power. It's I don't really think the gauge is anything other than decoration. Uh, it, the, the vehicle feels quite quick. There's enough power for passing off the line. It feels fine. It's uh, you're not missing the V6. Um, you do notice a difference in handling. Infinity has outfitted the vehicle with the uh, the digital steering system they have. Oh the, yes, the steer by wire system. Yeah, so there's there's no physical connection between the steering wheel and the front wheels. It's all done by a computer. Uh, it it checks. There's a sensor that checks how you're turning the wheel, and then it sends that information to the electric power steering system. If that fails, if like there's some kind of catastrophic incident, there is a mechanical system that falls into place, so you're not gonna you know fly off a cliff. But um, most of the time, you're all of the time when you're not flying off a cliff, you're using this digital system. It does. You really have no idea what's going on at the front of the vehicle. It's not nearly as sporty in terms of sensation and et cetera. But that doesn't I always matter. think that's a, I, yeah. I always think that's an okay thing to have in a luxury crossover um, because these are not cars that need to be. You need to have constant communication with the with the with where the front wheels are pointing. They're usually just cruisers around town, the grocery getters. Yeah. Um, and they're pretty okay. It's it's better that they are transparent, um, that they're on the road. They should feel like they're on a cloud. Well, what's what's interesting, too, is, I mean, I think I mentioned it because the older EX and QX, they had that sporty feel, and this one doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a step back from sportiness in terms of yeah, handling this, for Infinity. This but car has done a complete 180 from what it used to do, what it used to be. Yeah, it's a step towards what they need, which is a vehicle people want to buy. Uh, the, the old QX was very, very niche. The new one is, um, it's going to sell... A ton. And I'm going to tell you one more thing that I like a lot about it, and then I'm going to tell you one thing I don't like at all about it. And the one thing I like a lot is the cabin. The The interior, it looks great. The materials are amazing, and you can make them even better. There's, there's a whole bunch of packages where you can add and add and add, and you end up with, like, quilted leather. Um, it, everything is soft to the touch. The, the layout of the cabin makes total sense. Everything works well together. It just it's just nicer than anything you get from Mercedes, BMW, or Audi. It's really That's a huge. It, it's a actually, step above. Yeah, looking at this interior, this is a fantastic interior. And um, listeners to the podcast will know that we did a live um, demonstration, or at least a live podcast from the LA Auto Show, and we actually jumped into the QX50 and were really astounded by what was in there. Um, there's a couple of highlights that you definitely need to make make you need to point out here. The the color schemes are yeah. are out of this world. Are these standard? Are these like a regular thing? Is this no. or is this additional thing that I have to buy, like a Designo or uh, an Audi exclusive sort the, of interior the top, cab? The top package is two thousand dollars extra, and that gets you stuff like there's a, a really interesting like um, I believe they call it ultra suede, 
and mm-hmm. it, ra- it it's on the the center console and it comes down one side of the console in a contrasting color to the rest of the interior it's and you touch so it. nice it is nice it's really soft too and you can get an ultra suede headliner as well i believe the colors match um cool. there's a special white leather package at the top as well uh, but even if like what's nice is even if you get a, a more entry level vehicle, it still looks great. It's so many of these crossovers, they, even the luxury ones, they're very plain inside. And this one, Infinity's really up the ante. Like the QX80, I think the, the full size SUV that they offer mm-hmm. is one of the nicest interiors in the business, and it was the nicest Infinity interior period until the QX50 came out. I think they're on the same level. And when you can have your least expensive crossover and your most expensive flagship SUV have the same level of fit and finish inside, that says a lot about what you're accomplishing at your company. That is pretty huge. There's one thing that I have to, I really have to ask about, um, looking at the interior of this car, the, the there's still a two-screen infotainment system, uh, which I always found a really um, interesting decision. And there's also a really weird-looking shift knob. Um, <laughs> it's really tiny, and it looks like a little baby's arm. Uh, I... I don't have a problem with the two-screen system, although I've heard some people complain that the navigation graphics are a little bit out of date. Yeah, they look ancient. They look like a Nest screen. What's neat is uh, if you get a version of the QX50 without navigation, that top screen is just a clock. <laughs> and you can you can set it up to, to – there's all these different styles of clocks you can put up, analog, digital – analog digital where you have like flipping numbers and so infinity they didn't just say okay it's it's here's your casio you know <laughs> led <laughs> clock they actually they actually put a little bit of thought into it um but the the shifter it's a little precious like every shifter you're gonna get these days it's an electronic shifter but the but you know i can forgive the shifter what i can't forgive is what it's connected to and it's that continuously variable transmission oh, which yes. is not great um oh. it's not sporty at all but more to the point, it's not smooth. When you're coming off the line, what? Yeah, after that initial acceleration and you lift your foot, the transition from acceleration to cruising is it's jarring sometimes. Hold up, and, a CVT not like really not smooth. Like yeah. usually, like what does a CVT need to really do to be smooth? It's always kind of, or to be not smooth. It well, seems it, it would be harder to be not smooth. No, it's just not. It doesn't deal well with transitioning between one state to the other, and it's it's disappointing. I think they can probably fix it with software if they wanted to. So there's there's hope. I mean, it's not like I'm not saying don't buy the vehicle because of this transmission. It's not that bad, but it's not great. And pretty much everything else about the vehicle is great. So that was disappointing to me. Okay, um, that's a huge bummer. I'm really I'm really sad about this. What do you think it'll cost though? Because this is a really nice. It's a sweet spot for um, vehicles. In terms of size, in terms of what it offers, in terms of brand new technology for engines, what's the scoop here? What do you think um, in terms of pricing? Well, I actually know. Um, it starts. Oh wow. At, okay, fine. It starts at thirty six five fifty in the okay. U.S. That's and, reasonable. That's really and, uh, But you can spend another twenty if you want well, to. That's a pretty wide gap. It's a really wide gap. It's it's uh, it's approaching Porsche levels of <laughs> options and, and equipment. So there's okay. there's a lot of, there's a lot of room to play in there. But uh, yeah, if you want to get started on that base model, I mean the base models, it's front wheel drive in the U.S. and Canada. They're all all wheel drive. There's no official pricing for Canada yet. Um, almost almost sixty thousand dollars later. Does this car? Uh, what is the, what else, the, the standout feature, the killer app is this engine that's super fuel efficient. Yeah. And you get that all the time. You get all of that. So it's, it's, it's a a reasonable 
I, I think the way they've structured the pricing and the packaging, it's it makes sense. It's not like you're not going to get sticker shock looking at it. By the time you're spending almost $60,000 on the car, you'll get inside of it and feel like you've spent that much money. Okay. So that that's that's fine for Infinity. I have to ask a tough question here. Tell me about. I don't. I don't answer tough questions. This is no, this, this is the soft one. softball question podcast. No, no. Here's a t- here's a hard one. Uh, talk to me about something called ProPilot Assist. Oh, the uh, so that's their semi-autonomous driving assistance system. Mm-hmm. So, what is get semi-autonomous a, driving? Well, it's it's where since they have this electronic steering, this fully electronic steering, they can control it with a computer, right? They don't have right. to worry about you know losing control like you know some some yeah just like the q just like the q15 q60 with yeah, their some their lane keeping little systems, radar instead of like using the brakes or whatever they actually change the they actually steer the car you know via the steering system yeah. and they can ProPilot assist is it's on top of a bunch of other safety features but it allows you to follow a vehicle in front of you with cruise control hmm. so it's it, really yeah, it, it, it needs a vehicle in front of you to, to um, use It's not just adaptive cruise control. No, they have that as well. But okay. you have to set cruise control to use ProPilot Assist. And herein lies the problem because I had a few issues. We were in L.A., we were in traffic, and I had ProPilot Assist on. What I did like is I could set the cruise control. It automatically defaults to 20 miles an hour yeah, regardless of how that. fast that, you're going. The Q, I think the Q15 and the Q60 do that as well. It's That's working. perfect. Yeah, there's so many systems out there that if you're traveling slowly, you can't use them. So if you oh, find the worst. And you're just like, no, I'm, I hate this traffic. I know the car can stop for me. So I'm going to do it from a, I'm going to set it from a stop and then just let the car handle it. And I'll just make sure there's no, no, nothing it can't handle. And so, then that's great. So uh, it props to Infinity for doing that. But the problem is it kept disengaging. Mm. And it it was disengaging for reasons I couldn't figure out. Uh, sometimes it would be because a car was merging in front of us or merging away from us. Uh, sometimes it just stopped working. And it's a little jarring because you go from having you know steering assistance and stop-and-go cruise control to nothing. And, it just uh, turns off. Yeah, and it's not obvious Ugh. why, and it's not obvious how to get back to where you were. And I talked to some Infinity engineers that evening, and my co-driver, um, Chad Kirchner, and I, we both had these conversations, and there was no there was no easy answer as to why that happened. So ProPilot Assist, I'm not completely sold on it. I, I'd like to mm-hmm. find out more about why that happened before I could before I could recommend it. Well, that's really curious because Infinity has done a really good job with their driver assistance technology in the past, at least in my experience. The, it helps make those digitized steering systems uh, feel a little bit more worth it when this car can steer and handle itself in, in traffic really easily. But if maybe this thing still needs to bake a little bit longer. So speaking of baking, what, yeah. did, you dri- what did you drive last week, Sammy? I drove last week? I mean, well, last week I got a chance to go to... Mazda's R&D HQ, and you were there. And I was there. To... Did you know I was going to be there, or was this a, was it a surprise? I did know you were. I did know you were going to be there. Uh, it was a it was a pleasant surprise. We got to play around in some prototype vehicles, which is always a treat because prototype vehicles are these extremely finicky, volatile things that can just not work completely at all, and they they're a huge risk, I think, for automakers to put a bunch of loudmouth media into into something that might not work and could fail could like catastrophically. But well, that's that's why they had an engineer sitting in the right seat at all times, right? <laughs> to do what? To stop the to like use the force and make well, sure it's the funny, car. Well, it's funny it's funny you should say that to do what? Because he told us um, <laughs> He told us all the secrets, which is Yeah. Great. 
he did tell us all the secrets, but but funny enough, this, so Sammy and I drove together at this event, and there was a the cars we get into, like you said, are gutted and weird. But there's like a big red. In addition to having two PVC tubes where air was constantly <laughs> flowing out of the dash, air conditioning because they don't yeah. have they don't have a cooling system in them for for the cabin. There was a big red button. And as soon as we get in the car, the first thing our engineer says, I believe his name is Ryan Foise. Is that correct? Yeah, Ryan. Ryan was great. He was great. He's like, so I have to tell you, the brakes might not work. (laughs) (laughs) He said, said, we haven't had this issue on the media waves yet, of which there was only one other wave. (laughs) But when we were testing it, the brakes could go. And in, if that ever happens, just let me know and I'll hit this br- big red button and we'll slow down. So yeah, def- we'll have brakes again somehow. Why that button wasn't constantly activated was never made clear to us. <laughs> but that was that was funny. And, and the other funny thing was um, he was in the car every single time we moved the car. Like we, we did some very, very brief photography. And he either had to move the car for us or had to be in the car while we were moving it. And I'm sure that's an insurance liability thing. But it's just funny because you're in this – you're in this essentially like it not nowhere near production-ready vehicle. It's it's held together with whatever they could hold it together with. It, it was a current-generation Mazda 3 body on mm-hmm. a next-generation Mazda 3 platform with a drivetrain that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. So it's three very different things working together. And it was – to, to Mazda's credit, um, it came together quite well. It worked. I mean the most important thing that they were trying to show us – was the engine. This is Skyactiv X. This is a new technology that Mazda is working on that combines some of the best um, from the diesel world and some of the best from the gasoline um, powered engine world. What and do you mean by that? So basically, diesel engines use a, a an ignition system called compression ignition. Oh, we're back to compression again. Yes, but this is a little bit different than that. Compression ignition is when um, the cylinders compress so quickly that they create uh, a combustion uh, uh, of the air to fuel mix. So you so, don't need you don't need a spark like it just it just bursts into flame on its own. That's right. That's why diesels actually I believe don't have um, sparks if I know my diesels at all uh, or spark plugs. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, um, but you can't seem to do that with gasoline engines. I believe it's tougher to control gas. Um, uh, compression ignition. Well, so, well, gasoline is much more volatile mm-hmm. than than. It's actually hard to ignite diesel fuel with a spark. That's not really how it. It. Uh, you don't have the same kind of fume spark situation that you do with diesel that you do with gasoline. And I think that um, in order to ignite a a gas air mixture, it has to be very very lean. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Like you have that's to right. have and and that that that's that problematic. Means you have, to have more air than uh, fuel. Yeah, and that's problematic because if you have less fuel to ignite, like you you can ignite one under compression with more gas, but it's 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 that's called detonation. Like um yeah. <laughs> that's that's also inefficient. Like very, you're very, going to use a lot of gas to create that ignition and that's not good. That's very very that's quick exact opposite of what you need. Very quick primer on terms like ignition and knock. So in in any car, in any gas yeah. I'm sorry? Detonation. Yeah, what did I say? Ignition? It's an ignition. Yeah, okay. De- detonation and knock. So in, in any car, in any gas car, you can ignite the fuel that's in a cylinder without using a spark plug. Yeah, prematurely. And, yeah, prematurely. And that happens if there's if the compression ratio is too high and certain conditions are met in the engine, you'll end up with 
um, instead of it, it, it bursting into flames and, and creating the power stroke that you want when the spark plug goes off, it does that before the spark plug goes off. And if it does it at the wrong point, it'll blow a hole in the side of the engine block mm -hmm. because it's not it's, – it's a bad thing. Um, and you can also have less – it can happen less catastrophically as well, and that indicates that it's an inefficient process and you're not going to get as much power out of the engine as you want to. So what Mazda wanted to do was they wanted to create a situation where they could use compression ignition with gasoline, but in a way that would be not only generating power but using less gas than traditional ignition. Yeah, and you know what? This was a really interesting um... – Feet. They've done it with. They've done this compression ignition with a spark. So it's basically uh, compression spark ignition, right? Or spark compression ignition, which is really really impressive. It, there's a tiny supercharger that they they threw in there to help control things uh, in terms of airflow. I believe. Yeah, the supercharger uh, because they're running a very lean mixture and because they need everything to happen at the right time. They, they need to have a certain amount of air in the cylinder, and they can't just rely on that air coming in through the intake. Mm -hmm. So they, they have this it, – it is a supercharger, but it doesn't function like a traditional supercharger. It actually provides the air as required into the cylinder, bypassing yeah, the intake. rather than just pushing it in, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it bypasses the intake. Okay. The tr what you would consider a traditional intake. And this is really cool. I mean, so the, the engine will, will be more fuel efficient. They're expecting it to be, I think, 20% more fuel efficient than the um, uh, 30%. Yeah, 30% more fuel efficient and 20% more powerful. So the, mm -hmm. the, the engines we were driving were 2 liters, and they were putting out about the same amount of power as the 2.5 liter Mazda Skyactiv-G yeah. engines that are currently in showroom. So I think it's that's like, what, around 180 horsepower and 170 right. pound-feet of torque? Yep. Now, I heard people bandying about figures like 190 horsepower. So there's uh, there there were a few different engineers giving out different figures, but it, it worked quite well. Um, we obviously mm, couldn't. I'm not well, sure, buddy. It worked. It worked as advertised. It actually felt really strong. It didn't feel like a two liter engine. It almost felt like a turbo or a diesel. It had a lot of torque down low um, and it worked wonderfully. However, these were prototypes that were still in development and we heard some knock, man. Like there's no way to deny that there was definitely some knock. But we only heard knock in one car. Yeah, more, so we drove, way more we drove, than the other car. Yeah, we drove two cars: an automatic car and a manual transmission car. Now, the I manual hear... I understand had a different um, final gear ratio than the normal cars and the well, automatic we, cars. We were told, well, I would think so. I mean, they would anyway. Right. Um, but uh, the manual cars had been in Europe at a different event, and we were told they came back kind of weird, and they're running a safe tune on them. They hadn't had a chance to tune them to the same point as the automatics. I didn't experience any knock in the automatic, um, no. but it was definitely present in the manual. But um, the, the the it's interesting that you mentioned the gears, Sammy, because these engines, there's something... So the reason that Mazda's using spark and compression at the same time is because, as as Sammy mentioned earlier, compression ignition happens very quickly. But in order for it to happen quickly enough at the right time for with gasoline, you actually have to give it a bit of an assist. So the spark initiates the initiates the ignition, but when once it's initiate, initiated it, the piston's still moving in the compression cycle, mm -hmm. and you end up with ignition starting at the top of the cylinder where the spark plug is. By the time it reaches the rest of the air-fuel mixture, which is very, very lean, which means there's a lot more oxygen than there is gasoline, the compression takes care of the rest. 
and it allows them to get a smooth power stroke. Whereas before, if you were just, there are companies that have tried to do this before and they just used straight up compression and they still get power, but it's very, very specific at a uh, power band. It's not really useful in the real world. Mm-hmm. With When Mazda added the spark plug, they added that real world utility. So that's that's the best part about this is that Technically, it worked. It worked really well, and it ran. It worked the car. It, it did everything it was supposed to. However, I can't. We can't confirm the fuel economy improvement. Uh, no. We can. We can t- tell you that it it drove better than almost any other Mazda we drove. I've driven recently. Um, it's almost as good as the 2.5 in terms of just feel. Almost as well, good as the 2.5 liter turbo that's found in the CX-9. I think. And we it drove the 2.5. Really we drove the 2.5 Mazda that morning. Yeah, the to manual the, version. to the facility. And uh, well, you had a manual version. I had a manual. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and they, uh, I agree with you completely. I feel like the the, the motor felt as strong. The two liter motor felt as strong as the two point five. And they say that's going to be more efficient than the two liter, not the two point five, more fuel efficient than the two liter engine. That's pretty impressive. That and, car and you already know, earns thirty two miles per gallon combined. And kudos to Mazda for doing this because Mazda is a tiny company. And this isn't General Motors. This isn't Ford. This is Mazda. That it's is not like, even Infinity. Infinity has the backing of Nissan and the Renault Alliance, right? They, they yeah. have a, a lot of resources at their at their beck and call, and Mazda does not. No, but they what they're doing is so you know we were told, and this makes a lot of sense. Mazda looked at things um, across their entire lineup, and they're like, look, we want to increase our fuel mileage by X by a certain date, mm-hmm. and they they. If you're a large car company like GM and you build a hybrid car, you can absorb a lot of that cost and you can meet corporate fuel economy regulations in whatever market you're trying to sell. But if you're a car company like Mazda, they would have to sell almost half of every vehicle would, uh, of all vehicle sales would have to be hybrids for them to increase their fuel mileage across the board. And they, they that didn't make sense to them. The invest first of all, the Mazda customer isn't a hybrid customer. Mm-hmm. Second of all, Nobody sells a 40 to 50 percent hybrid mix. They're no, not yeah. big enough to to absorb that kind of. They, it's too niche. So they decided to keep improving the gasoline engine, and they they stayed away from turbos for the for the Mazda 3 because they didn't. They, they thought it was too peaky for the car. They preferred to work with this new technology that they're developing, and you know they're striking off on their own and doing something different once again. And uh, I think it, it works. It really does it, work. In it their does favor. work. And it's fascinating that a smaller company is leading the way to do that. What the best part about this car is, is that it felt like a Mazda. It felt like nothing else on the market. And I think every time we do get into a Mazda, I, I have to admit that every time I do get into a Mazda, it feels more engaging, more fun. I immediately realize what I'm driving and why I would take a Mazda over any of its Japanese competitors or even American or German competitors. They're always more engaging. They make you feel like you're a part of the process when you're when you're driving the car. And this engine definitely had that going on. It's, it's interesting that you say that it feels so different and it's unique. You know, if you think about it and you look at the two small players in the industry who have managed to survive uh, all the consolidation. Ooh, let me make a um, guess. Let me make a guess. Is it going to be Mazda and Subaru? It is. And yes. it, and I, I mean, obviously, both, both Mazda and Subaru have had serious financial backing from outside companies, um, but they've remained unique brands. I mean, you, you get into a Subaru, and exactly like you just said with the Mazda, you know you're in a Subaru, and it drives like a Subaru, and it has its own cult. And you its know, own are, sound and its own look and its own just everything, yeah. right? Yeah, and and you can't say that about some larger brands. Mm-hmm. And uh, that identity has really worked very well for Mazda. 
Absolutely. Now, there's one more car that you've, you drove last week. I've driven a long time ago, so maybe you have a more modern interpretation of it. But it's another car that has fuel efficiency in mind, and this is the Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV. Or oh, PF yes. or FEV? Well, how did they say Fev? it? Or, I don't, I don't, how did I they don't, say it at the event? I just say PHEV. You just I, I, I'm not cool enough to say FEV. You know, we're talking about car companies that... Um, are small. Mitsubishi is a huge company that has a small car division. And um, recently part of the the Renault-Nissan alliance, they got bought up. It, it's a company that hasn't really cared about developing new products for a very long time. Like I'd say 10 years of mm. pretty much the same old, same old. They, they subtracted nameplates, but they didn't really add anything until very recently. And they've been adding SUVs. We've had the, the Sport Cross now, the Eclipse. Sorry, not the Sport Cross, the Eclipse Cross. Right. We've had the Outlander Sport is new-ish, mm-hmm. and we have this Outlander. Now we have the plug-in hybrid version. Now, I, have to- I want you to – hold on. Before you get anywhere, the Mitsubishi has a huge brand everywhere but North America. I think people really understand what they're getting with a Mitsubishi, except for when it comes to the U.S. and Canada. It, it's really funny to see it. And well, they sold the Lancer for 10 years without changing it. That kind of kills your brand. <laughs> That's true. But they have really popular cars and a, a really interesting off-roading um, legacy that I think goes a long way for, for some people who want an SUV. I guess so. And you know, Mitsubishi claims that the the FEV version of the Outlander is the best-selling FEV in the world. Um, mm, outside, I'm not sure. I think it's the second best seller. No, outside yeah. of North America. So you have to oh, subtract yeah. those sales. <laughs> so that means that the Volt uh, does not exist to them because I think the Volt is super popular only in North America, right? So uh, I, I, I'll trust you on that one. I don't know. Um, but I have to tell you, there's a huge reason why uh, Mitsubishi is not doing well in North America and it's products like the Outlander PHEV. Um, what? Yeah, this is a vehicle that you you know how you're saying you get into a Mazda or a Subaru and it feels unique and interesting and like it has its own identity. Mm-hmm. You get into a Mitsubishi Outlander and it feels like you've stepped into a time machine to 10 years ago. So this is my problem with the Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV. Go ahead. Well, I'm saying that everything inside the vehicle feels old. It feels these the switch gear, the plastics. The only thing I really liked about the interior, aside from the fact that there's a lot of room in there, is the seats. The seats were quite well done. Everything else just felt dated to me. And uh, incidentally, in terms of seats, you lose the third row for the battery pack on the plug-in hybrid, which is fine because you should never force anyone to sit in the third row of an entry-level or you know near mid-size SUV anyway. Okay. So I drove this car maybe two years ago, and they have been promising that it will be coming to North America for for longer than that. Um, and I think this is the main reason you should you should be uh, talking about how how dated it is. It's, yeah, it's, it it's, is actually dated. It's really and not old, only is it, and it feels not, like they've been trying to do something with this car. And not only does it feel dated, but it doesn't drive well. I I could forgive a dated interior if I was getting decent power or compelling fuel mileage but um you get 22 miles of i, I believe it's 22 miles of driving on the single battery pack okay uh so not that's awesome not awesome but not I terrible think it's and it actually, the countryman the countryman phgv i think that's a good well, comparison you can make i the, no i think this vehicle's way bigger than the countryman it is. it's massive uh and it was weird because mitsubishi was comparing it to the countryman and they also <laughs> compared it 
Yeah, they, they also competitively compared it to the uh, Town & Country, or sorry, the Pacifica Hybrid, the, okay. the minivan that Chrysler makes. I don't think there's any cross-shopping there. But uh, anyway, it's uh, it recharges pretty quickly. You can get 80% in like 30 minutes, okay. which is not bad, on like a level 3. But and it's and I think it's like four hours or something on a level two. That's 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 not that bad. But it weighs forty one hundred pounds. It's very heavy and it has a little little two 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 liter four cylinder engine with no turbos. It's got a pair of electric motors. You can use it has the super all wheel control, which is Mitsubishi's trademark for their all wheel drive. Mm-hmm. And you can actually lock it in four wheel drive if you want to. Wow, and just that's use the elect- cool. Yeah, and just use the the electric motors. But it's got less than 200 horsepower Ooh. if you combine all those motors together. And when you when you have 200 horsepower and 4,100 pounds without a, like five people sitting in it and all their gear in the pack, it's not going to be a good time. And there were I would just step on the gas and nothing would happen. And I, it was so disappointing. The combined so disappointing, Sanders. <laughs> the combined output of the Mini Countryman PHEV, which does not weigh 4,000 pounds, which is <laughs> does not have is not as big, which is tiny, is 221. And that uses a three-cylinder turbo to do its to do its gasoline duties. That... There you go. So it's a it's a three-cylinder engine. Yeah. And, and it's it has roughly you know, 25 horsepower more <laughs> than than this Mitsubishi. What about so, the Ford C-Max Energy? That's not all-wheel drive, but... It's way smaller, too. The, the Outlander is a big vehicle. Okay. I mean, so it, that's and, its go-to. That's its thing. It's going to be bigger than any other pl- uh, plug-in hybrid that you can get. Here's its other thing. It's cheap. It's 35 grand in the U.S. What? Um, including um, subsidies? No. Whoa. What? <laughs> it's 35 grand. <laughs> So you can basically get this car for like thirty, maybe thirty grand, depending on where you live. Yeah, depending on where you live, it's super cheap. And, okay, and Mitsubishi's advertising it as the that's pretty it's big. the cheapest plug-in you can buy. It, it's it's the cheapest family size plug-in you can buy. Okay, that is a that's a good thing and a bad thing. I don't know if everybody always wants to show up with the cheapest car <laughs> everywhere they go. Am I wrong? Like, I mean, I don't want to. Uh, some some people are really boastful about their deals, but I think cars are a different category, are, are a different thing, and the image that you that you portray when you show off and and, and boast about, I got the cheapest car on the, on the, on the lot. Well, you know what? Mitsubishi is kind of all about having the cheapest car in the lot with the Mirage. <laughs> so I guess they're extending that philosophy to their plug-in hybrid. Is is the uh, is the customer – like if you're a Mirage customer, are you even looking at like a, an Outlander PHEV? Are you like, you know what? You can what? get three Mirages for the, for the cost <laughs> of an Outlander PHEV. I'm like, you know, are you, are you sitting in your Mirage thinking, you know, I didn't spend a lot on this car, and now I'd like to not spend a lot on a plug-in hybrid. Like I don't, I don't think <laughs> I don't that's know. the same person. I don't know. I, I really can't figure it out. But that is a big deal. I think a thirty-thousand-dollar plug-in crossover because most people combine hybrid with costly. Um, and because it's usually true. And that's not a that's not a bad deal. Most people also com- put the, the two terms of hybrid and slow together. So at least this car follows that stereotype. Yeah, and but it shouldn't though because you know <laughs> I'm gonna use the uh, it gets 25 miles per gallon in combined driving too. I want to mention that. Um, okay, that doesn't sound great. Once you've got the power, once the battery's dead and you're out of battery mode, and that's it just runs out. like a regular. Well, it, it can run as a parallel hybrid, it can run as a series hybrid, and it can run as a battery, completely battery-powered vehicle. It, it's, it, is an, it is a technically well-managed drivetrain that does not generate enough power. Let's put it that way. Okay. But I want to point out, um, do you know how much horsepower there is in a RAV4 hybrid? 
Uh, it's got to be more than uh, 210, maybe? So the RAV4, I'm sure, doesn't weigh nearly as much because the battery pack is smaller because it's yeah. not a plug-in. Yeah. But the RAV4, the hybrid version, is my favorite version of that vehicle. It is the quickest. It feels the most confident. It's it's fairly well-equipped. And um, I, wa- I just want to say that in case anyone's listening and thinks, oh, Ben hates hybrids, so of course he hates the plug-in Outlander. I actually like well-executed hybrids, mm-hmm. and the, the RAV4 hybrid is a well-executed hybrid that I would recommend 50 times more than this Outlander. But it's, got, it's, it's got better fit and finish as well, right? It's got better materials inside. It, oh, yeah, and, it's, it's way more. It, everything about the RAV4 is a better vehicle. But how but much is also, it? I, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I would have to say that, you know, I want Mitsubishi to be building competitive vehicles. And time after time, they're given the opportunity to do so, and they don't do it. And what am I supposed to say at that point? Okay, here. You know, hold on. I've got your back here. I've got your back. Uh, total output on the Toyota RAV4 hybrid is 194 uh, horsepower. Okay. So that's less than the that's less than the Mitsubishi, yeah. and yet it feels way quicker, mm-hmm. most likely because of weight, mm-hmm. or just maybe it's a better design. Yeah, and it starts at it's cheaper. It's eight thousand dollars cheaper without the eight thousand. I got it's, a U.S. as tested price on a on a Rav Four. I'm trying to figure out the trim level. I'm looking here. at twenty seven two thirty five XLE, and I've got the okay. You're doing delivery fees? No delivery fees. With delivery yeah, fees, fees it's thirty. It's just about thirty two thousand. There's no, there's four, five thousand dollars in delivery. Fees I don't know what you're talking about. I'm looking at an XLE hybrid. Sorry. I'm looking at Toyota.com. Oh, you're just looking at the <laughs> basic one. Okay. Yeah, the the LE is 27. Then there, then there's the XLE is 29. SE is 32, and Limited is 34. So the nicest version is roughly the same price, and I'm willing to bet equipment is semi-similar. Although, get this, you can't get navigation in the Outlander. Oh no! What? It's CarPlay or app or Android Auto. Okay, that's okay. Is there a place for you to put? Trim. Is there a place for you to put your uh, phone in? Of course not. I hate that. I hate <laughs> how cars will sometimes have a plug and then nowhere to put your phone after. It's your phone is just like dongling precariously yeah, somewhere, th- or a it's in a cup holder. I mean, you, and you're like, you could use a cup holder. <laughs> yes, and your friend is like, uh, should I hold your phone or my cup? I don't like being harsh on a vehicle, and, you know, my co-driver said something that I think is very telling but also very sad. He's like, if you've never driven another hybrid (laughs) or another SUV, you would be okay with this Outlander. Okay. But, you know, you say something like that, and it's like – it's like saying if you were completely ignorant of the market, you would be okay with any option that was given to you. Well, so, at the price, it's it, there's a chance that this is a, this has a chance. There's a chance that this could be a big deal. Um, sure. If like you said though, who out there is is shopping plugins on price? Who is exclusively yeah. shopping on price? I feel I, bad I just, because the autom- It's ridiculous to say this, but the automotive industry, cars in particular, say a lot to people, um, and that's why luxury cars exist. That's why premium vehicles exist it's why bad like cars can sell just on badge alone and mitsubishi doesn't have that image doesn't have that brand equity most people don't even know they're still selling cars i know it's insane it's absolutely it's it's i'm worried that that might not work out in their favor but it's a it's a decent it's a decent car with a good value i think i don't think it's a decent car at all i think it's i i think it is a it's a unique it has a white space that it fills it is it is a below average suv that you can plug in. Yeah. That's how I would put it. Okay. You have you have you have good interior room. You have uh, the the ability to travel 22 miles on battery. 
and that's pretty much it. Um, I don't really. There's nothing else about it that it does better than any other vehicle. But I'm and saying that's better. Areas... That's better than the regular Outlander. At least the uh, those are two positives in this car. The regular Outlander, you can get a V6, and that's the coolest part about it. <laughs> All right. Do you know what so... I mean? Like it's great to have a car that has positives, right? Um, and this has some. <laughs> like. <laughs> What are you, this car's mother? Let's oh, talk no, about no. the positive uh, things. I just wanted to You're say always so built... negative, Benjamin. <laughs> Think about the positive. It has wheels. It has a roof. You're not getting wet when it rains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you're right. It's it's uh, it's pure junk. It's late. That's the problem with it. It's... I'm not saying it's pure junk. Wow. So you, you really did a turnaround there. <laughs> it did. It is late. I really wish it had better uh, a better design. It had better tr- interior trimming, and I think um, some people will definitely prefer it to have some more power and range. Um, and but it, it fills you know, a white space in North America that has not been met yet. <sighs> what? I don't know your white space comment. You don't like white space. I don't know. It's just uh, all right. All right. So what else would you like to talk about this week, Sammy? I don't, that's it. I mean, I had something that doesn't, <laughs> fit the narr- that, do, that doesn't fit the narrative of all of our funky cards. I had a Toyota Corolla, and if you know what a Corolla is, this is that. Um, it's extremely <laughs> competent in terms of what it offers. It was reasonably equipped. Uh, it cost under $30,000. It um, was great on gas. And, and it felt way bigger inside than it really was. And I didn't have any complaints. It just nobody ever wanted to let me in, like, merge on the highway ever. Um, nobody let me, like, leave a busy alleyway uh, onto a street ever because they're Maybe like, Maybe you well, should wear a that. shirt when you're driving. <laughs> it always feels like people just disrespect Corolla drivers on the road all the time. And uh, it, I just felt like I was knocked down a peg everywhere I was driving. Well, I mean, it was interesting week. We, we we got to sample every, I mean, three completely different forms of drivetrain. Mm-hmm. Plug-in hybrid, variable compression turbo, and compression, compression ignition. ignition. Yeah. So uh, if you would like to hear more of our experiences driving Maybe various less technical trains, ones. Yeah, the ones that aren't as, as in the weeds as, as this one seemed to get, uh, you can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and we have all of our, I believe we're almost at 60 podcasts now, that you can listen to there. You can also, we have links on the site, so you can grab them from Google Play, you can grab them from iTunes, you can grab them from your favorite, uh, I believe, Stitcher, um, CastBox. If you want, just search us out there, you'll find us there too. And we also have photos of the vehicles that we're driving on the uh, website, Mm-hmm. Plus our Facebook page, Sammy. Do we have photos there sometimes? Yeah, sometimes. We have some sometimes <laughs> photos on there. Um, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, typically, if you just search for Unnamed Automotive Podcast there, you will find us. And that's a really good place to get in touch with us. If you want to talk to us, that's a great way to do it. Um, but if you want to be a little bit more direct, I suggest you reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha. That's S-A-M-I underscore H-A. And Ben can be found at Hunting Benjamin. Um, and you can tweet him there. Use a hashtag unless, um, or else Ben won't read it. Ben only reads hashtags. You read the whole thing. You have to tweet the whole thing in hashtags. I'm working towards getting past it, but baby steps. Yes. Um, next week I will be in South. What's the matter? That's what I was about to ask you. What are you doing next week? Uh, next week I can talk to you about two luxury cars that I had at the end of this week. That's um, the. Le- That's confusing. Let's skip to what you're doing next week. Oh, next week. Okay. Next week I'm gonna drive a 
a new Audi A7 in South Africa. Ooh, do they only sell them in South Africa, Sammy? I'm not sure about that yet. The, so far, all I know is that it will be able to be driven in South Africa. This is a 2019 Audi A7, all-new car, all-new platform, new engines, probably a new naming scheme with some numbers after the name. <laughs> I believe you're going to be spending two or three nights in an airplane. Is that correct? That is also true. I'm very nervous wow. about I'm that. I'm very curious to, to have that conversation with you because you're coming back that day, right? <laughs> that we do the recording. podcast. That's what we're Yeah, so about. Sammy's going to be cracked out when we do the podcast, and I guarantee we're going to get some unvarnished opinions. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. What, what else do you got, Ben? Uh, next week, I believe I am driving something much, much, much more normal. It is a Honda Odyssey. Whoa, a minivan. A minivan. Ah, but there's also something else that we'll be talking about next week that I've been driving recently, and that is the BMW i8. Oh, what? Again? So, the <laughs> so these are the two poles. Well, this time, Sammy, I've driven it in winter in very cold conditions. Okay. And I have a whole bunch of stuff to say about that because uh, it's a surprisingly good car mm-hmm. compared to other hybrid supercars, I guess. And uh, What about all that carbon a, fiber? Does that get cold? It gets so cold, especially when it's touching your cheek. But um, yes. we'll, we'll have a lot to talk about next week, I think. Did you lick the frost off the carbon fiber? Did your tongue get stuck? No, your tongue doesn't get stuck to carbon oh, fiber, wicked. which is my right. second favorite thing about it. All right, I can't wait to hear about all the places you've licked, licked the BMW i8. <laughs> don't, don't use a black light in the i8, that's all. <laughs> I won't. Thank you for listening, everybody, and I can't wait to talk to you all, to you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye.